0: This is the Power of Genetics podcast. In each episode, I'll be interviewing successful practitioners and impactful thought leaders in the world of health and performance. They will share their journey, their insights, and their best advice for us all. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe. Let's begin with today's episode. Hello to everyone. We are finally back with the Power of Genetics podcast. And on our first episode... We have a very special guest, who is Ryan Smith. So welcome, Ryan.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be your first guest back.
0: And this is a little bit different. So in this season, we're doing things a bit differently because last season, we stuck a lot with practitioners um, who were working with patients, but this time, I really wanted to highlight some extraordinary individuals who are really impacting healthcare in a Quite a fundamental way, and you were um really one of the first people that came to mind. So Ryan, i I never liked to read out a bio, and I did go through your bio and I was astounded that even in all the time I've known you, I didn't know so much about you. So please please, please, please start on tell us a little bit who you are, what you do um as I like can intro, and then let's go back to the beginning. You know I really want to know how this all began for you.
1: Yeah, certainly, um, and uh, definitely a, a convoluted story. So I know we'll go in maybe a couple different directions. But uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with me, I'm uh, Ryan Smith, one of the founders of True Diagnostic, um, and True Diagnostic itself is a company that is a CLIA lab. So we have our lab facilities here, and we do a lot of research. Uh, but really, what we are known for is that we've commercialized uh, epigenetic age diagnostic testing, and the idea is that we want to be able to tell how old you are and, and measure that process of bi biological aging, because it's the number one risk factor for almost every chronic disease and death. And so um, our focus has always been uh, really twofold. One is to, to, to best quantify the aging process, but secondarily to that, to really focus on this new platform of, of sort of an offshoot of genetics, uh, which is epigenetics and and some of that data collection. And so we've been around for two and a half years now, as um, true diagnostic. And in that time, it's of- the largest private epigenetic database in the world. So we're very proud to have a really big data set, which is helping improve our insights into this field. And, and I know that we'll probably talk about the many things that we think we're gonna be able to do with the data, um, but uh, but still it's a relatively young company and uh, we're, we're publishing and doing studies on a daily basis, growing very, very quickly. But um, that's, I guess, how you and I met. Um, but that's before That's how we that, met. Yeah. yeah but, but hold on, before Brad, that,
0: just before you yes, jump into before that, I just mm-hmm. want to make sure, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of very smart people who've got fancy science degrees that are listening to us chat. But there's also going to be some people who've never encountered the word epigenetics before. And, and it may be that you and I probably define it a little bit differently. But I wanted to make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page. So I just, I'll just i give you my definition. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your definition. Just to make sure everyone understands why it's so extraordinary that you're working In the space you're working in. So the world that I work in is often referred to as genetics and genetics is all about your code, your DNA sequence code, which we can measure, we can test, and we look for genetic variation, how your code differs from another individual. But the area that Ryan is working in is epigenetics and epi is kind of above genetics. So when we talk about epigenetics, we're talking about not about the code, but actually how the genes behave or express themselves. And up until a couple of years ago, you weren't able to really measure this expression. So people say to me, well, you know, genetics is kind of testing the code, but how do you know how the gene is actually behaving or expressing? Along comes true diagnostics, the amazing work that that's Ranting. So I don't know if you want to just, if you thought I did yeah. a good enough job, if you want to add something in there.
1: No, I- I think that's excellent you know the way that i generally explain it is you know every cell in your body has the same dna right your skin cells your heart cells your liver cells but they behave very very differently right your heart phenotype is way different than now you want your liver to behave or your skin to behave and and so uh even though they have the same baseline sequence what genes are turned on and turned off are very different and that's really what we're trying to measure the on and off switches then and those can get very complicated uh you know unlike genetics there are a lot of things holding it back because it has to be cell type specific time points specific a lot of other variables which uh, make the application much more difficult um but but the insights from it um are also changeable and, and so i think that it gives this idea of maybe reading insights uh that i would say from your lifestyle from from your diet from nutrition that are you know changing some of the way your genes behave and maybe in a good or a bad way but getting insight into those changes is, can be very very helpful
0: absolutely and and so that's that's the connection between your work and my work is You know, we look at the code and we make recommendations, but it's your choices that you make. And I always say every minute of every day, you make choices, whether it's the type of coffee you drink or how long you sleep or what exercise you're doing. And every single decision, every minute of the day is switching on and switching off genes. And what you're able to do is actually see how those choices that individuals are making are actually switching on and switching off genes, which is, we call gene expression. And really that can impact health. And that's why, I always call genetics and epigenetics the yin and yang because they work so beautifully together. And that's why, obviously, I love the work you're doing, but I'm very glad you're doing it because yours is much more complicated than my work. So I'm going to leave it in your hands. Anyway, so I think we've got a sense of what epigenetics is now. Now, if you don't mind, tell us about your journey. Tell us how it led you into this, this space.
1: Yeah, certainly, and, and you know, I, I would tell you, I never expected to be in, uh, I would say, a molecular diagnostics business. That that certainly uh, uh, was not what I imagined. Um, you know, in undergrad, my bio, I had a degree in biochemistry, um, particularly specializing in a lot of peptide and protein synthesis. So I was really, you know, interested in in things like new drug development. Um, and so did a lot of that work, um, but, but really throughout my entire undergrad, I knew I wanted to go to med school. Um, so I went to medical school right after um, uh, my undergrad at the University of Kentucky and uh, did two years. I finished my USMLE Step 1, which is sort of that first big test that you take. I um, was doing pretty well, but got to the clinical portion in third year and just absolutely hated it. Um, I, I couldn't imagine uh, doing it for the rest of my life. And, and so at that point, I made it probably uh, much to the uh <laughs> pleas of, of, of sa- insanity uh for my parents uh, I, I decided to to make a change and so um I decided to quit and about three months later ended up uh creating uh, a company that uh, was a compounding pharmacy that really specialized in in some of those innovative molecules I was really interested in particularly those peptides and proteins um and uh, so we built that I was sort of the first employee just we started maybe
0: just set- right, like not everyone's Familiar with the concept of a compounding pharmacy as opposed to kind of a pharmacy that they probably like go to every, you know, every couple of weeks or every couple of months?
1: Yeah, certainly. So a compounding pharmacy is basically a, a compounding pharmacy that can make formulations and and drugs differently from what is just commercially available. I always like to use the analogy of, you know, if if we know that you know, let's just say, you know, a million people in New York City are shoeless and we know the average shoe, shoe size is, you know, a six or an eight, you know, we can't just go drop a thousand size eight shoes in, in, in New York City. And, and compounding is meant to be more of a personalized medication solution. So if someone has an allergy to a medication, uh, we can sort of change the way it's formulated or if they need extremely low doses, we can change the way it's formulated. Um, and so compounding pharmacies have been very popular in sort of this, I would say, preventative medicine space. Um, because of their flexibility in these areas, where things can be changed and, and uh, um, created custom that can then improve patient profiles in a variety of ways, and so um, so we we really set out to do this, but to really focus on a product listing that was very unique, things that people had never seen before, um, and uh, and along with that, we had to do a lot of education. But um, so we ended up creating things like the International Peptide Society, a nonprofit, to educate uh, clinicians. Um, and so we did a couple of really interesting things, but really the idea was bringing light to some really innovative and new compounds, uh, that were in various stages of, of development and to really use them clinically for better outcomes. Um, and we just sort of hit a niche there. um, mean, something I never expected, you know, again, i was sort of the first employee we had, you know, over 200 within three years, we were the fourth fastest growing company in healthcare. We just, yeah, we were really building new buildings or additions to the facility about every three months i'm just trying to keep up it was it was crazy growth but it really thankfully for me introduced me to this world of preventative and honestly cash pay medicine things that are a little bit outside of that traditional medical system which i think most people would agree is significantly broken and 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 this gave me a little bit more hope if i knew that this space existed i would have 100 you know i think finished out med school but i didn't um you know i didn't even know that we would be hitting this market whenever we came up with the idea of the compounding pharmacy, but it was so enlightening to be able to find, uh, I would say practitioners who shared a very similar view of health that I did, which is that we should be working preventatively, not just when symptoms are already uh, manifest and someone's already been diagnosed with the disease and we're managing care. Um, that to me seemed very formulaic, but to try and you know find preventative medicine therapies and, and encounter people while they're still healthy for optimal trajectories in life, that, to me, made a lot of sense. And so uh, it was a great fit for me personally, Because, uh, it, but also, I think, uh, it was a great fit for the market. We just hit it at the right yeah, time. We where, the right
0: time, the know, niche. The
1: uh, <laughs> right place, at the and, right time. And, and,
0: but, you know, it, it, people who say, like, how did you get so lucky? Well, you know, you don't just get lucky, right? You're in the <laughs> right place at the right time. And we'll talk a little bit about it, this kind of entrepreneurial journey of, you know, it's it's not as random as, oh, I just... I just happened to be in peptides and I just happened to be open a compound pharmacy and I just happened to value education. Like all these things are quite intentional um, and and kind of results in, in success, but they also have an extraordinary amount of hard work. Um, the, I feel, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's never true. I think that, uh, you know, that's the one thing we even look for in our employees is people who are passionate because it leads to hard work. And usually if you're passionate and believe in something, then, you know, everything else sort of. Uh, you know comes comes with that right and and so I definitely believe in you know luck follows um you know persistence and uh but yeah you know, it, it was it, it was definitely a um you know a, a labor of, of love and, and and extreme growth we you know prior to that I had no experience in pharmacy uh, I knew a little bit obviously about how the medical world existed no idea about the regis- the rules and regulations of the pharmacy no idea on how the best you know sops or standard operating procedures for any of these different uh, criteria so I learned a lot along the way um and and, uh uh and really into i think building into something we were very very proud of
0: and that's was tailor-made right
1: correct yeah tailor-made compound. that
0: was that was it okay so what happens then how long were you that you're there and you decide okay i'm i'm really excited about preventative medicine and what's the kind of turning point for you where you decide to walk away from compounding medicine and, and and move in a completely new direction
1: yeah, so certainly. and and uh, so one of the things that we we were always very hyper aware of as the biggest weakness in our business um was the relative uh, I would say innovation. Um, that we were doing we were doing a lot of products which were not fda approved uh you know usually in phase two or phase three of their approval process um and you could do this in a compounded fashion on a patient specific prescription um at least at that time but we also knew the guidance was changing um, in these compounding pharmacies and so you know we had grown so quickly and 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 you know we i think still today have a fundamental belief in in the therapies that they were made available um, and, and one of the things we always wanted to do was to track outcomes to prove that they were working. That way, we had data. You know, if the FDA or you know the pharmacy boards ever wanted to see it, we could say. Hey, you know, this particular product showed this particular outcome um, at this frequency, you know, this negative side effect rate. And so we were really um, hyper intense on building some of those data sets. But we also realized time was not on our side. Um, you know, for a lot of these things, you need outcome data. And to get outcome data, you need time. Or you need, you know, five, 10, 20, 40 years to see what happens to some of these patients. And we didn't have that. And so um, I was always looking for for surrogate markers to do this um and just so happens that right around the same time so we started the pharmacy in february of 2016 um and uh really the epigenetic world was just at its infancy at that point um especially because i think as you mentioned the ability to measure this data has been a relatively new phenomenon i mean even uh at At that point, you could only measure at at, a very large scale, the 450,000 locations, um, and uh, didn't have a lot of the data analysis tools that we have now to even interpret that. Um, And and so uh, there was a big development really right around 2018, which was the creation of a new um, epigenetic age algorithm. And uh, for the people who aren't familiar with that, this is sort of reading those the data points that we're looking at those on or off switches, um, and interpreting that pattern to tell you the age of your body, right. Uh, and uh, again, the reason for this is that age is the number one risk factor for all chronic disease and de- death, but chronological age isn't sufficient. And you probably, you know, if you're listening, have, have seen this before, you know, people in their 70s who look 50, uh, they're aging extremely well. Meanwhile, other people might look 70 when they're 50. And those are aging really not as great. And that's not captured in this chronological process, that variation. So by looking at these markers of the body, we can maybe capture that variation better and then be able to predict your risk of the biggest risk factor even better. And so that's sort of the idea. Um, and, and Dr. Steve Horvath from UCLA was really pioneering this. Um, and he created a really new algorithm, which is probably still one of the best out there uh, right around 2018 called Grimmage. Um, and, and that really, I would say, caught my interest. <laughs> it got me started looking into the, this idea, the algorithms, because not only were we really intent on improving outcomes, but we also were working with a lot of physicians that were treating age as a primary uh, risk factor, um, which is certainly a philosophy that, that struck an accord to me through I think my my philosophy on preventative medicine you know why not man if you're not diseased uh let's manage the biggest risk factor which is age right that's the one that we really want to want to talk about and uh and so many of our physicians were already doing this type of work so it really gathered my interest but um I was just sort of a I would say a uh, you know a hobbyist uh at that point still um and and that really changed in a major way in uh really September of 2019 um, that was when my world sort of shifted and and the rationale for that, it was that uh, Steve Horvath and Greg Fay um, together, both at UCLA published the first ever interventional trial on these epigenetic age marks where they could take a baseline measurement do a protocol. In this case, it was called the TRIM trial where they were using metformin growth hormone and DHEA. Um, and then they basically retested to see if they could drive down the ages in these patients. And, and indeed they did. It was a very small trial, only nine patients. So definitely had some limitations, but this was the first time that these markers had been shown to be effectively changed. Um, and And to me, that meant uh, hey, these are, are things we should maybe start looking for to prove outcome data, because if we can show these reductions, particularly in an algorithm that can predict death and disease of almost every type, then we can have really solid data going forward uh, for the business. And so um, I was in Dr. Horvath's office the next day at UCLA, um, flew out there overnight, uh, you know, yeah, knocked on his door and. Love Uh, it, And we started talking about the space. And and at at first I was just looking at it as a, uh, honestly, as a a, a customer, Um, how can we collaborate to get some of this data done? Um, But also asking a little bit more about the space, who's doing this, who can help us with this, you know, trying to solve all those issues. And um, one thing became relatively clear to me, which is that the companies that were out there in the space weren't doing it in the way that I thought it maybe should be done. Um, And by that, I just mean that, their scale was and approach was just to test the algorithm. Um, and that's, you know, 353 locations um but it it isn't it's offering a service but it's not pushing the the field forward um at all you know they're not collecting any data to uh they're not they're not looking at anything besides what they're going in there to look at um and you know if you were just to do that with genetics for instance you might know one gene very well but you wouldn't know the the you know the full potential of what your genetics can do and so um so at that point i went to some of the other companies that were out there doing in the space um see if they might want to collaborate uh to offer this to the integrative space in in a data generation way um but unfortunately no one was super interested <laughs> um and so yeah fortunately now oh, i unfortunately. guess but uh, you know I, you know and uh <laughs> but at the time i, I yeah. just definitely thought that you know epigenetics Um, was so new and and nascent that it had a lot of potential, but the only way to take it to that next step would be data generation. Um, And and by that, I mean that, you know, these algorithms are always trained to predict something. It could be a phenotype. It could be, you know, your hair color. It could be, uh, you know, how fast you can run a mile. Um, And and the idea is that these algorithms are created by a computer learning system, which just tries to predict that outcome. And so um, with larger data sets, but also more of that outcome data, those associations, then you could create more algorithms. And so in in 2018, there was really only those biological age algorithms. Now there's algorithms that can predict how much you've smoked across your entire life, how many heavy metals you've been exposed to, what your VO2 max is, what your grip strength is, you know, if you can diagnose you with Alzheimer's, it can diagnose you with schizophrenia, things that had been previously very hard to do. Um, And it really is the advent of bigger data scales, um, but then also bigger, uh, better platforms for resolution of the data generation. Um, and so um, so I thought that we might have uh, ability to help in that space, mainly because the market of our clinical providers were already doing things like telomere testing, um, these biological age markers.
0: Exactly. Yes, and that's been done for, for years. I mean, telomere testing is Exactly. We're trying to achieve the same thing,
1: right? Yeah, certainly, and, and it is definitively a you know a hallmark yeah. of aging. But the problem with telomeres is that they're not as predictive of outcomes as some of those early epigenetic clocks. So, um, you know, we talk about that the difference in phenotype or that end outcome, right? Those people who look you know twenty years older or younger. Um, only about two point eight percent of that phenotype variation has been shown to be responsible via telomeres. Where, yeah to 35 or higher has been done for these epigenetic clocks, especially the newer ones. And so, um, so I thought that from a technology perspective, it would offer more information, it would offer more prediction. Um, all the while, you know, these, these clinical providers are, are getting just about every measurement on their patients that they possibly can. Um, and if, we could you know combine some of that data we can create some really cool predictors um and so i that was sort of the vision that i had um and and uh at that point i i wasn't sure that i'd be the best person to run this company but i knew that our market was definitively um, able to satisfy the, the that sort of in a zero to one step where we you know, satisfy, you know, create a lab and and offer this as a genetic test because this market is probably the most viable market for it. No one is probably more interested in age um and uh, and insights. And so, um, so at that point, um, you know, we were we I was really considering, you know, sort of starting this company. Um, uh, but at the same time, we started to run into actually regulatory issues with the FDA for that compounding pharmacy. And so um So in fact, it was actually, you know, uh, uh, timed very well. Uh, Yeah, we we actually got enforced by the FDA to stop anything that we were doing, which was not FDA approved compound. And so overnight, we lost probably 75% of our revenue. Um, You know, it was, uh, and and also though, we lost all the ability to innovate uh, because at that point it was just, uh...
0: oh, exactly, exactly. So the identity of our company was a little bit
1: stripped. Um, But for me, it, it also became, very less, I would say, intellectually satisfying overnight, all these new and unique things that we were doing. Now, just we sort of turned into the Amazon of pharmacy who can provide the cheapest product with the least friction, um, you know, in, in the quickest and most reliable manner. And uh, and that didn't excite me. It became more of a logistic business than it became a scientific. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and An that was definitely not where my yeah. skill sets lie. And, and so I'd been thinking about this for a long time. I, I thought that we might be able to help in the space. And so we committed. Um, and so in, in really March of 2020, um, we exited uh, that company and then uh, I created and founded True Diagnostics. So we bought a building in in March of 2020, right after we sold the company um, and then got CLIA certification and then started doing commercial tests in July of 2020. So we're two and a half years in now. and uh and we' have learned a lot uh, about epigenetics. We've learned a lot about aging. Um, but I think that, you know, those initial things that we saw as opportunity in the market did prove to be true. I think that we've been able to gather a lot of data. Um, and from that, we've been able to leverage a ton of collaborations with university partners, which have allowed us to create new and better predictive algorithms, which, now I think that our our ability to interpret this epigenetic data is is way beyond just age. It is now in a variety of subsets, a, divi- a variety of lifestyles, and I still think we're only in the very beginning. You know, sort of where genetics was 30 years ago. Um, and and so um, so yeah, it's been a, been a, a winding path. You know, uh, uh, both times when I was getting out of medical school and whenever the FDA sort of acted on our business, it you know I think hopes were a little bit dire, um, but you sort of find a way at the end. <laughs>
0: But I mean, it's almost those tipping points. It's those pivots, which are actually so impactful, you know. And at the time, they feel a bit dire, but actually, they they land up being, I mean, amazing. And I mean, twice now, you've landed up exactly in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. I mean, it happened when at the peptides and compound pharmacy, and it happened again in epigenetics. I mean. You know, there's so few of you um really leading the charge in epigenetics and true diagnostics and the work you're doing is definitely one of them. And you know, it took it took such courage. I mean and and, and, and you know it's funny, you said like we are now where genetics was thirty years ago. I actually had a meeting before this so where someone asked me about epigenetics and I, I kind of said 10, 15 years ago. So actually I was more generous to you than you were. Um but but um, you know, the one thing I understand very clearly because twenty years ago when I started new to genomics, you know, no one would talk to me, no one wanted to invite me over. You know, what you've done has taken extraordinary courage, extraordinary courage to take your money, put it into business, set up a lab, go out there and knowing that that at the moment it's a very data driven industry, but that this is gonna have such a great impact on health and decision making and measurement and predictability but doing something that no one I mean there were very few doing what you're doing like really I could count them on less than one hand you know half a hand and yet you you know you're young you're like and you had the courage so what do you think it is that enabled you to be able to to have the kind of conviction of your vision that this was going to be something and and really put your money where your mouth is and say like I know this is early but I'm going to kind of jump in and I'm going to do this.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it might why, well, I think that, uh, I can understand from an outside perspective, the, the maybe the portrayal of confidence. I don't know that I ever felt it. Um, you know, um, <laughs> so you say
0: you fake <laughs> it until we make it. Exactly.
1: Right? And I, well, I think that ultimately, um, the reason that I was excited is because I, I just felt that it was unique. And if, and, and in terms of my skill sets, um, one thing that we had always done relatively well, I think probably the reason for our, our, our success with the pharmacy is that we were okay at educating on new ideas and topics, um, especially ones that were routed in beliefs that were held by the same distribution community. And, and I think that um, this idea of aging as a disease is something that absolutely resonated with me. Um, and I think that that goes back you know, to the pharmacy business, it goes back to my med school experience. <laughs> I think that uh, this idea of just preventative health being the fix and solution um for the big problems in healthcare i think uh that was always my reassurance i think in the back of my mind i think that uh the, I, I believed in, you know, aging. And I, I think, again, we hit that at a, at a good time. It was right before, you know, uh, David Sinclair's book on on aging came out, which was, you know, really yeah. woke up a lot of people to this this sort of zeitgeist change of of age. Yeah. And now right. almost
0: every second book is on, <laughs> on aging, right? I mean,
1: exactly. And, and, so, yeah, and the investment yeah. in aging is outpacing almost every area of biotech. Um, and, and I, I think that, uh, so, it, so again, it was relatively the right time and, and really thanks a lot to some of the pioneers of like Dr. Horvath who created these epigenetic clocks, but I, I just saw a market fit at the end of the day. And I, I think I kept saying to myself, you know, this is important because it's the biggest risk factor. Um, and if we can find a way to to get higher resolution on this, then that's great. And at the same time we can create other ways, then that's great too. But we also weren't the first company to market. Um and so I know that there was you know, other competitors out there. Um, you know, that definitely uh some groups who had, you know, even gone public in a SPAC for multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and uh, so there was it was a definitely a scary space, but I think that this physician market and the application on a patient specific basis was really. That reassurance at the end of the day, um, that, that always kept us, I I would say, being willing to to put the time and effort and money in.
0: <laughs> I can't believe it's only two and a half years. I mean, that's just extraordinary. I feel like you've been around forever. You know, it's um and I have no doubt, I mean, I have absolutely no doubt, and I've said this to anyone who listened to me, that this is the future of medicine. And I completely agree. You know, ages, and and I have to tell everyone that I did do your true diagnostic, and I was absolutely delighted because my epigenetic age was lower than my chronological age. So I was very proud of myself. Obviously, I'm making some good choices, and I need to continue making good choices. But um, it was, you know, very enlightening, particularly because I'm working in the genetic space. And as I say, you know, it's not, it's it's not binary this world of genetics. It's not look at you know look at genetic code or look at epigenetics because they talk to each other this is the yin and yang of who we are and who we are in this world how we respond to the world around us and and being now being able to measure that response to the world around us obviously is it's so extraordinary so um i have obviously a, a very personal interest in seeing how you and your work and your company um continue i have absolutely no doubt a lot of success but I think you know um let's let's finish off I mean I think it's been so fascinating I know everyone will find it interesting it's just you know I, again and I, I don't want to like them but that you're an extremely entrepreneur and you're an entrepreneur scientist and they're not that many of them because what happens often with scientists is and, and I, I I had this journey where when scientists build products they often get in the way of the market. And 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 so what you actually sometimes want to do is put the scientists in the back rooms, they build the product, but get the marketing and the UX people to actually engage. And you're actually quite unique in that you are a scientist, but you've been able to build not one but two successful companies who, who have that market fit. And you know, as I said, that entrepreneur scientist is a is a unique animal because often it works against uh, being successful. So perhaps we can finish off with just some words of wisdom from you on, you know, if anyone who's listened to this, who is a kind of science medical practitioner, but who has that entrepreneurial spirit of seeing something come to fruition, you know, what is the advice that you would give them?
1: Yeah, um, I think that uh, generally my advice would be twofold. I think that, you know, I completely agree with you about that, you know, being sometimes the, the science hurting the business aspect. And and it's certainly, you know, I can even relate to that ourselves. Some of our first reports were 70 pages because we wanted to dictate all of the different nuances with this that, that just didn't, you know, we, we made some mistakes along the way. But I think that... Uh, the reason that we've been successful in both businesses is really twofold and and that is i think um maintaining scientific integrity i think that in especially in today's world when you get in a lot of shouting matches about interpretations of certain things um you know i think that at the end of the day if you have science to fall back on it can really help in those conversations and and sort of those approaches and so uh, i think that that has always been um you know, even if we're not the best acknowledging that and, and working to improve it in certain areas, I think that has been uh, a core feature which has allowed us to collaborate and grow. And I think that those collaborations, everyone working in a unified fashion definitely have helped us more than trying to, you know, maintain you know, proprietary algorithms, or you know, the, these different things. Just I think being collaborative has certainly been helpful. Um, and then I think that beyond that, I, it goes back to what I said earlier, which is that um, you know, find something that you're really passionate about because everything else will follow. I think if you're willing to to really work on something, then um, and you know, in, in maintaining that scientific integrity, the the product will sort of build itself. Well, that's
0: a that's a great sentiment. I don't think we can do better than then that the product will build itself. Ryan Smith, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful hearing your story and filling in the gaps of all the stuff I didn't know about you. And I've absolutely no doubt we will be seeing just, you know, continued growth and success. And hopefully I'll be seeing you in person sometime in, in 2023. Yeah,
1: thanks so much, Hale. I appreciate you having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3 x 4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3 x 4 backslash podcasts.